pretty much all of us go to the zoo. And when we go to the zoo, we usually go because we want something fun to do. But does the zoo really help conservation of animals in the wild? Do we really need to have animals in captivity? Or is it just for our entertainment? Today, that's what I'm going to be talking about. I'm Dr. Stephanie Shetler, aka The Fancy Scientist, and I'm so excited you're here for the very first episode of The Fancy Scientist podcast. I didn't expect to start off my podcast this way, but given the conversations around Tiger King, I decided now was a good time to talk about animals in captivity. Tiger King took the nation, the world, by storm. And although I understand the docuseries did not focus on the animals, the animals and animals in captivity were in the backdrop. And the story was set in that context. And what this did is it brought up a lot of questions. Well, actually, it brought up a lot of people saying a lot of things a lot of people making claims, but there was not necessarily any truth to back this up. As a wildlife biologist, this was the most frustrating part for me, that there were a lot of things said about conservation, but there were no unbiased experts to fact check the things that were said. That's where I come in. I spent all of April (laughs) blogging like crazy about Tiger King. But today I'm going to hit some of the highlights of what zoos are, how they help conservation, and how to know which type of zoo is okay to support and go to. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. If you haven't seen Tiger King, I'm just going to give you a quick recap. Really, it's about the story between Joe Exotic, his real name is Joe Maldonado Passage, or Passage, and he owns the now called Greater Winniewood Exotic Animal Park in Oklahoma. At one point, he was the biggest big cat breeder in the country. He bred lions and tigers and sold them, which is illegal, the, the selling part. And Carol Baskins of the Big Cat Rescue in uh, Florida was against this big cat breeding and tried to get it stopped through legislation, but also by trying to shut Joe Exotic down. So that's the premise of the docuseries. But as I mentioned, it brings up a lot of questions about animals in captivity and breeding. And the one thing it really did is I believe it really confused a lot of people. Even I left confused. And here's the thing. I knew that Big Cat Rescue was better than Joe Zoo and the other zoos featured in the facility. But 
I wasn't sure if it had similar animal welfare standards as them. So I knew they were better because they weren't breeding the big cats. I agree with Carol Baskin's position that big cats should not be bred outside of AZA accredited zoos. And we'll talk about that more in depth. And that these cats, they are not contributing to conservation. And we'll talk about that more too. So I am totally against this big cat breeding just for pure entertainment. Just so this is just so people can hold a cub and they only the cubs are only able to be held between eight to twelve weeks of their lives. So essentially they're tamed to be held for about a month and then they're not really they're not useful after that. So I knew big cat rescue was a lot better than the zoos featured. But the way that the documentary featured the different facilities, it was hard to tell if Big Cat Rescue was a legit sanctuary or not. Just like there are good zoos and bad zoos, there are good sanctuaries and bad sanctuaries. And a lot of zoos are actually calling themselves sanctuaries now, even though they breed, because people feel sorry for animals at the sanctuary and they're more likely to donate money. They're more likely to uh, spend their time there. And some zoos have have given all zoos a really bad rap and some people are just totally against zoos. I decided to look at all the facilities and compare them against each other. So I have a bunch of blog posts, three of which are looking at Big Cat Rescue the Greater Winnie Wood Exotic Animal Park, and Myrtle Beach Safari in depth. You can find those on my website at fancyscientist.com. But the thing I wanted to go over today is really stress that, no, they are not the same. They're not the same at all. And another concern that I have about this series is that people are going to come away from it thinking that all zoos are like that. And there's a lot of variation in zoos. There are really good zoos. There are really bad zoos. And today I'm going to give you some key factors on how you can tell the difference and how zoos really do contribute to conservation. That's really what I want to talk about. In the series, they talked a lot about holding a tiger cub and then I believe Doc Antle said it, opening up your wallet for conservation. And Joe said something similar, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but holding tiger cubs is the best educational tool, that people hold them and then they leave wanting to save the rainforest. So today we're going to examine some of those truths behind that. First, I just want to do a quick fact check. Tigers don't only live in rainforests. They actually live in a lot of different types of habitats. So yeah, not necessarily true in that context. But let's get into how zoos can play a role in conservation. The first way is um, the simplest, and that does have to deal with having these up-close interactions with animals. Research shows that when people have close emotional connections to nature, not just necessarily animals, but nature in general, especially when they're kids during childhood, that they're more likely to develop pro-conservation attitudes and behaviors. In fact, if I were to ask any of my wildlife biologist friends, I've, I've done this, almost everyone, I've only met one person who hasn't said this, um, but almost everyone says they become a wildlife biologist because they grew up playing outside and having these really strong connections with nature. 
Because when you experience nature and you have a relationship with it, then when something comes along that threatens it, you're going to be upset about it and try to try to fight it. It's it's totally possible that zoos can create these connections. And for urban areas, zoos actually might provide really important connections because you can't see these these animals or it's really hard to get to green spaces in, in some urban areas. For a lot of the animals at zoo, we never see them um, up close and personal, or we see them in different ways that we can't see them in the wild. For example, I was at the Lincoln Park Zoo, and in their enclosure, the lions have a window area that is right next to where people can see them. Of course, it's thick glass to protect you and the lions, but the one day I was there, the lioness was sitting right next to the glass, and I was extremely close to her. Even though there was glass in between us, I could see her extremely well. She wasn't facing me, but if she turned around, we could look at each other in the eyes, and that that would have been a really amazing moment. It is totally possible that kids can go to these places, hold a tiger cub, and then leaving wanting to conserve tigers in the wild. But the reason why I think it's doubtful is because the way that the animals are handled in cub petting and these zoos in general featured in Tiger King, they're not really handled as exotic animals. They are handled like they're pets. Specifically at Myrtle Beach Safari, they tend to do a lot of anthropomorphic things with their animals. So, for example, the chimps are in clothes. And they have videos about chimps baking chocolate chip cookies. This doesn't have any educational value or conservational value. And it actually, in my opinion, does the opposite. For chimpanzees specifically, if we see them acting in this way, people look at them and say, oh, I want a chimpanzee as a pet. And this is actually a direct threat to chimpanzees in the wild. They are poached for meat, amongst other things. And if there's an infant, they will be sold in the illegal pet trade. I also think in order for these um, messages to come across better, you need to tie them directly to educational or conservation messages. And this is what we call ambassador animals. You'll hear zoos throw around that term a lot. Ambassador animals are captive animals, and they are meant to represent their species in the wild. These ambassador animals, though, are effective when they are paired with conservation messages. For example, the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Wyoming, they have an orangutan exhibit. And in front of that exhibit, they talk a lot about sustainable palm oil. Because orangutans are greatly threatened by palm oil, and the solution is to support sustainable palm oil, they use this as an opportunity to educate the public on things that they can do right then and there. They can go home. Palm oil is in everything. They have an app that you can check your products on to see um, if they use sustainable palm oil. Maybe I'll do an episode about sustainable palm oil too. They really have a conservation message in there, and if people visit this zoo, they spread the message. This really can have an impact on wild animals if we change our consumer behaviors. 
For tigers, the conservation messages are palm oil. Tigers do live in, in areas where there's a lot of palm oil. Also donating to conservation organizations like World Wildlife Fund, uh, Wildlife Conservation Society. Doing things about climate change, so changing your behaviors to reduce climate change. That will definitely affect tigers because all animals are affected by climate change. And then you can, if you're old enough, vote or you can write letters to government officials to ask them to support international endangered species programs. Even though here in the United States we don't have tigers, we actually set funding aside for international endangered species. And depending on who is in the White House, there is more or less money available. Those are the major things that you can do to help tigers in the wild. Now, it is totally possible that the directors left out any times that Doc Antle said this, that Joe said any of these things. But based on everything else they said and the zoos themselves, I highly, highly, highly doubt that any of these conservation messages were spread. Therefore, in my opinion, these facilities featured in the Tiger King, the zoos featured in the Tiger King, serve a very little conservation purpose in that way. Another big claim that the zoos make in Tiger King is that they're breeding tigers, which automatically saves endangered species. I forgot the name of the person who said it, but he was another exotic animal breeder. And he said, what's the first rule of endangered species? You make more of them. And he said, like, duh, you make more of them. No, that's not quite how it works. Making more of an animal does not mean that you are conserving it. And in the cases of big cats, making more captive big cats does absolutely nothing. As the documentary mentioned, there's an estimated five to 10,000 big cats living in captivity in the United States. How captive breeding helps wildlife is it does serve as a genetic reservoir. Say that something happened to animals in the wild. I love this example. I worked on cotton top tamarins when I worked at Disney's Animal Kingdom a long time ago. And these are endangered monkeys. They are endemic to the country of Colombia. means it's the only place that they're found. So let's say something happens to these monkeys in the wild, either a natural disaster or there's a disease outbreak. Well, you could lose the whole entire species. Captive populations therefore serve as a genetic reservoir. In case that would happen, you could breed the animals in captivity specifically for reintroduction to the wild and rescue that population. The zoos that do this are AZA accredited zoos, accredited by the Association for Zoos and Aquariums, and they maintain a species survival program for each animal species. These programs are designed to maximize genetic diversity. They keep stud books on all the animals and know which ones mated with each other. They also protect important um, delineations, such as subspecies, so for tigers, they try to preserve the subspecies. And basically, there are enough captive tigers in this program that we don't need any more. Additionally, the 
animals that are bred in these private zoos aren't bred in a way that is valuable for conservation. Usually they're bred for color, like white tigers, which um, you never see in the wild. Or they're bred just like for random weird, <laughs> weird factors like ligers. There's no reason you need a liger. They don't exist in the wild. Asiatic lion and tiger range does not overlap. Even so, hybrids, they don't want to breed with the other species. They, a species would much rather breed with its species. So these private zoos aren't really doing it in a way that benefits conservation. A lot of people said things like, these tigers should go back to the wild, they should be released to the wild, but they can't. Even tigers bred in AZA facilities wouldn't survive in the wild likely, and this is because they are captive bred. The tigers in the zoos featured in the Tiger King most definitely would not survive in the wild because they have been tamed for cub petting. They are taken away from their mom quite literally seconds they are born. If you didn't see the docuseries, one of the tiger moms is giving birth and the cub is pulled out from below her using this big pole and it the cub is pulled through the fence and then it is immediately put into Joe Exotic's living room where they stay in like this little crib thing. They are hand raised and therefore will be used to humans. Taking a tiger like this and putting it into the wild won't work because the tigers won't know how to hunt. They learn how to hunt from their mothers. They spend about two to three years with their moms in the wild. And they'll also be really used to people. If you live in tiger habitat and, you know, tigers really kill people. And if you have one that's used to people, I'm sure that's going to cause major human-tiger conflict. So it's actually really dangerous. Now, zoos do have reintroduction programs, and they have quite literally saved endangered species that way. Some famous examples include California condors, the black-footed ferret, but there's a lot of animals that don't get that attention. I know the St. Louis Zoo breeds hellbenders. They're the largest salamander we have here in the United States. People think they're ugly, but I think they're cute. And then, you know, a lot of animals like fish, frogs, even insects, they're bred in captivity and then released into the wild. But to be reintroduced to the wild, they have to be part of a specific captive breeding program for that purpose. The, the keepers try to keep as much distance between themselves and the animals. They do not want the animals used to humans they don't want them to associate food with the keepers. And in some cases, it takes training the animals. They do what what's called a soft release. And they transfer the animals to a fenced-in area in their, in their range so they can practice being an animal in the wild. This reintroduction process is studied along the whole entire way. It's done between scientists and veterinarians. It is a very involved process. You can't just take any captive animal and release it into the wild and expect it to survive. The last major way that zoos help the conservation of animals in the wild is directly through their conservation programs. Zoos were originally made for entertainment. 
people literally just put animals in cages. They had no um, interest or knowledge to try to make the cages look like their natural habitat. They didn't provide any stimulation. And as we've learned more about animals and the public became more aware of animal intelligence and welfare standards, there has been pressure on zoos to improve, but also pressures on zoos to work on conservation of species in the wild. A lot of zoos now have their own conservation programs. These programs directly fund either research in the field on the species or projects like anti-poaching patrols. These patrols are really effective in reducing poaching. Just simply paying for to have rangers on the ground can quite literally uh, save animals because it can deter poachers. The question is, do any of the zoos in Tiger King donate to these conservation programs or have their own research programs? I looked into this and I could not find any information for Joe Exotic Zoo. It doesn't look like they do that at all. The only conservation efforts it looks like they do is repost some Instagram posts from conservation organizations. Doc Antle claims that he donates millions of dollars to on-the-ground conservation funds. I looked into his nonprofit. It's called the Rare Species Fund. Now, I have been in this field since 2003. I've never heard of the Rare Species Fund. I've never heard of Doc Antle's work, but he says he donates millions of dollars to it. When you look at the website, it is very confusing about which programs are active, if the programs are older, how much money in total has been donated. It looks like he donates to camera trap projects and things like funding rangers, which of course are, are really important. But in my opinion, these projects don't look like they are in the millions of dollars range. It looks more like they are in the tens of thousands of dollar range. And I have a lot of experience with this because I've created my own international budget. I, I do camera trap work myself. I found a Myrtle Beach online article that also looked into his finances. And it turns out that... Over half of the donations are a donation to his Tigers Institute, which is just another name for his Myrtle Beach Safari Zoo. It looks like he's therefore taking money from the nonprofit and putting it back into his zoo. And his zoo is in, in no way conservation. It's, it's, again, the breeding of animals that don't need to be bred. It's not saving wildlife. Although it does look like he donates to programs in the field, it is really unclear how much the process as well. Um, as scientists, when we apply for grants, we find organizations that are offering funds and you have to write a proposal, you have to write a budget, and you have to explain yourself how qualified you are and how you are going to do this project. And then it's independently read by usually other scientists or experts, and they rank the proposals and award the funding to the research project that is the best, the most important, and it has to be scientifically robust too. So even if Doc Yantel is donating money, we don't really know if it's done in a way that is as valuable for conservation as it should be. 
Camera trap work is a great example of this. Lots of people throw up camera traps. Yes, it is important, especially for telling presence absence of an animal. You can always do that with a camera trap. But if it's not set up in a vigorous study design, then it really limits the types of questions that you can ask and answer. Without any information about how to apply for these funds, and it looks like there's no experts to review it, it's really hard to tell if the work that he's funding is really meaningful and helpful for conservation. Finally, even if it was the best conservation project in the world, I personally don't think it justifies cub petting. Cub petting to me is innately cruel. The cubs are taken away from their mom immediately. And the documentary didn't talk about a lot of the animal abuses, but if you listen to the Wondery podcast, they go over this more in detail. The cubs had um, bald patches and and worms, and even the directors of the Netflix documentary included that in an article after the documentary was filmed, but they didn't include it for some reason in the documentary. Those are the major ways that zoos can contribute to conservation. And what I hope is that you are able to look at zoos with a more discerning eye and know what to look for. I wrote a blog post about guidelines for more ethical zoos. It's really important to know that zoos are not all the same and that some of these zoos have quite literally saved endangered species or even species who are considered extinct in the wild. Now, in an ideal world, I wouldn't want any exotic animal behind bars or behind an enclosure. But we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a world where there is a major loss of biodiversity. We are in the sixth mass extinction of species ever to happen on this planet, and it's all caused by us. Unfortunately, I just think we are in a period of time where we need zoos. We need people to have this up-close, personal connections with animals, so they're inspired to, to want to protect them, to want to give those donations to these, those important charities to help conservation projects. Now, this whole time I've talked about zoos, I haven't talked about sanctuaries. Sanctuaries can play a lot of the same roles as zoos in terms of conservation. They can donate to organizations. Uh, I looked into Big Cat Rescue, and they do make donations to projects that fund the conservation of wild cats around the world. They can also serve as educational platforms for people either visiting the facility. It looks like Big Cat Rescue also has school groups. And that's a great way for people to learn about wildlife if they're telling them the the correct information about how these species live in the wild. And sanctuaries are important in that they take in animals that essentially have nowhere else to go. This is something that was talked about in the Netflix documentary, but because, like I said, there were no unbiased experts, it it was very murky. You couldn't come away from that exactly knowing that. But good sanctuaries, reputable sanctuaries, they take in animals that can't go to a regular zoo. This is because zoos breed for their own captive populations, but also a lot of these animals have been altered in some way. So they have been uh, tamed 
as mentioned before, or sometimes they're even physically altered, like declawed. They can have their teeth filed down. And zoos are trying to show what animals look like in the wild, how they act like in the wild. And if they have animals that are representative of that, then they might send across the wrong message. If it wasn't for sanctuaries, then these animals would have to be put down. Now, there are some really awful sanctuaries out there, and it is a real ethical question to ask, is it more humane to euthanize these animals or keep them alive in a sanctuary? But I definitely do not think this was the case for Big Cat Rescue. Until this private ownership of exotic animals stops, we're going to have to need sanctuaries. Also, as our animal welfare laws change, for example, in uh, Mexico several years ago, they banned the use of animals in circuses. So where are all those animals going to go? They're either going to be euthanized or go to a sanctuary. No facility can have an endless amount of bred animals. They just can't. You eventually run out of space. Tigers live a long time. On my website, I did the math of cub petting. So a lot of these tigers are sold illegally, or they live crappy lives elsewhere, or they go to a sanctuary. That's really the best option for them. There's also rumors that they're killed. In the Joe Exotic documentary, you saw that he killed at least five of his tigers. Unfortunately, at the moment, we therefore need sanctuaries Unless, like I said, you're okay with putting down healthy animals. And in some cases, these animals are, you know, so intelligent. Like an elephant, there's chimpanzee sanctuaries. And when you go to these sanctuaries' websites, you see like some of these chimpanzees were used in medical research. And, you know, they're in their 50s. It just seems really heartless to not let them live out their lives in these great places that some of these sanctuaries have. What I hope that you will take away from this is that the sanctuary and facilities in Tiger King are not the same at all. And like me, you should do your due diligence into looking into places. When I stopped watching Tiger King, I was confused. I thought maybe Big Cat Rescue could be a sham sanctuary. You have to do your research. You have to look at these places online, look at their enclosures ahead of time. And I have on my my blog, I have a whole episode about that, a whole episode, a whole post about that, how you can tell good zoos and bad zoos and good sanctuaries and bad sanctuaries from each other. I think it's also important to know that there's a lot of gray areas that not all quote unquote good zoos have the best practices there's a lot of things that we all don't agree on, even as scientists. For example, elephants in captivity. It's really hard for any zoo in the world to have a really great elephant exhibit because they are very social species. They range across a really large area, and it's just hard to do that. It's expensive. Most zoos were built decades ago or in some cases hundreds of years ago and in cities and they don't have the ability to expand. 
So it's a very murky situation in general, but overall, don't go to, don't support the ones at the really bad end of the spectrum. Look at these zoos with scrutiny and support the ones that do some really high quality conservation work. Thank you guys so much for listening. In the next episode, we'll talk about getting up close and personal again with animals in a way that could possibly hurt them. So how can you prevent this? And it's really important we spread the word on this one. What is it? If you have any questions or comments, just uh, message me on social media. I am really easy to get into contact with. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Please rate it. All that stuff. I would love it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye.